He could have slayed Goliath with a toothpick. He makes the fruit of the spirit into a smoothie. Volunteers follow him around with the pulpit, just in case he speaks. He is the most interesting pastor in the world. I don't always go to church, but when I do, I prefer Blackrock. Stay holy, my friends. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit more forward. A little bit. All right, there we go. Good. So I knew for about three or four days they were going to play that, and I've been trying to think of what I would say after I came up, and I got nothing. So uh, <laughs> we'll just get started here. All right. So how many of you? You could go ahead and raise your hands. How many of you have ever forgotten your password? Right. Whether it's to get into your computer or a website, your phone, or something like that. Most of us have. Right. Most of us have forgotten our password, and I know many of us we have kind of multiple stages of passwords. We have your, your kind of your basic password, some sort of word or something you might remember. Then you have your password with numbers, you know, a little more complicated. Then you have your password with numbers and symbols when they ask for that, which is really annoying. And sometimes, you know, you, you can't use the same password in the past month, and so you forget it. And when you forget your password, it is really, really, really annoying. And there's like a universal sound when you forget your password. Like, right? I mean, like, and then red letters pop up and they say, like, access denied or your username and password don't fit. And then they start to scare you, like, if you do this, like, three times, they're going to shut you out for the rest of your life or something like that. I kind of wish there was just, like, a, vo- like a nicer voice that said, like, nice try, keep trying, keep going, you know, something like that. Instead, like, eh, eh. Well, this morning... We're going to talk about something that says it right big up there on the screen called Access Granted. And what we're going to talk about is how we can have access to the life God created for us. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two Bible verses. What we do every week here at BlackRock is we, we take a look at the Bible because we believe the Bible is not just a good book, even though it's a good book. It's bigger than that. It's actually inspired by God, and it's the way we figure out what life's about and what we're like that God gave it to us so that we can understand a little bit more about who we are. Now, there's some verses in the Bible that are very straightforward. The Bible says, do not steal, which means do not steal. All right, so some Bible verses just straightforward that kind of tell you what you should do. There's other Bible verses that are a little bit trickier to understand, but, but they help us understand not just what to do, but who we are as human beings. And that's what this Bible verse is. All right, so stick with me as we read through this, and, uh, and then we're going to kind of understand what this says. All right, it's Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace and now we stand, in, in which now we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, some of us, when we read through this, we kind of, in theory, understand some of these words, but it's almost like reading a different language, right? I mean, you put all this together and like, what in the world does that mean? And again, this is one of those verses that takes a little bit to understand, but I don't know, how many of you like doing puzzles, right? Anybody like doing puzzles? I hate puzzles, all right? Put your hands down. I hate puzzles. My wife and kids, they like puzzles, all right? My wife, and they take all that time, right? They got those, all those little pieces, and they find out how they fit. And they, like, it takes hours or weeks sometimes to put these things together, and they do all this work. Now, when they're finished, 
there is this beautiful picture and this beautiful sense of accomplishment and understanding. Now, when we put together what these verses mean, it creates a beautiful picture of understanding who God is and how we are as humans. So let's go ahead and do that. Now, to understand this verse, we have to understand certain words. And there's kind of a pro- progression with this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace and we have access and we have hope. Right? There's this progression. It says, since we've been justified, then we have peace with God. Then we have access. Then we have hope. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like more peace in life. Maybe your life is peaceful every day is like, you know, laying out on a beach somewhere. That's great. Some of us would like more peace in our life, so that I would like to know how to have access to that. It mentions having hope. Now, some of you may wake up every morning and be like, yay, it's a great day, you know. Some of you may wake up like that. Some of us would like to have more hope, so I'd like to know how to have access to that. And then that, that other thing there, access to God, that is actually a rather amazing concept when you think about it. It says that somehow we can have access to the all-powerful creator of the universe. Now, I have a hard enough time, you know, getting a hold of my financial advisor for something like that. I mean, this says we can have access to the God who created the entire universe. So I don't know about you, but I would like to know how we do that. And the key seems to be this very first word, justified. Because it says, since you've been justified, then you have all these other things. Since you've been justified, then you have all these other things. So let's try to understand what that word justified means. And to understand that, we need to kind of read a couple more verses that are just a little bit later in this same chapter. Romans chapter 5, verses 12, and then 18 and 19. They help us understand what this word justified means. You can follow along as I read. Therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many were made righteous." All right, so this starts off by saying sin entered the world through one man. This is a reference to Adam, right? God created Adam and Eve, and everything was perfect. They, they never, like, argued with each other. They were never in pain. They were in the Garden of Eden. Every, everything was absolutely perfect. And God told them, hey, you can eat from anywhere you want. There's this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shouldn't eat that. So basically, Adam and Eve went about their lives, and then they started to look at this tree, and they're like, that looks pretty good. I know God told us that we shouldn't eat from that, but they began to think that they were smarter than God. Now, probably most of us do that almost every day, right? Almost every day we, we, we go around and there's some person that really kind of hurt us, really annoying to us. And we know that God says, hey, we should forgive. But we look at that person and be like, that's just a horrible person. And they did a horrible thing. And God, I know you say to forgive, but I'm smarter than you, so I'm going to hold on to this bitterness, right? Now, we, we, we do this in other ways too. We know that God said, hey, you should take some of the money you could spend on yourself and give it to people who need it even more than you do. But we look around and we're like, man, I mean, my car is starting to really fall apart a little bit and I need a new sweater and I could use a new phone. And so we go, I know, God, you said we should do this, but you know what, God, I think I'm a little smarter than you, so I'm going to spend this money on myself. That's basically what Adam and Eve did. They they said, you know, I think I'm a little smarter than you and I'm going to do what I think is right, not what you say is right. Now, what's interesting about this passage is what happens next. 
That's what's underlined up there for you. It says that in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Later on, it says, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Now, at this time, there were only two people on earth, Adam and Eve. You weren't born yet. I wasn't born yet. Nobody was. And yet it says that as a result of what Adam and Eve did, every single person sinned. Now, what that means is God created humanity in the perfect image of God, and it was, everything was amazing. Now, what happened after this point is that the entire of humanity were fundamentally flawed. This perfect humanity that God created were now marred and in, a, in a pretty deep and powerful way, in a way that there, there wasn't going to be just a kind of a quick fix for. From this point on, all of humanity was fundamentally flawed. Now, we don't often like to talk about that. It doesn't sound very nice to say, hey, you're fundamentally flawed. You're really messed up, right? We don't, we don't like to talk like that, but when we step back and look at it, it does actually make sense. Because a lot of times people ask questions like, why is the world so messed up? Why can't people just get along? Why are there all these wars? Why are families so dysfunctional? Why are they arguing all the time? Families aren't supposed to do that. Sometimes we ask the questions about ourselves. Why am I so insecure? Why do I care so much what other people think about me? I don't want to do that. I just do. Why is it that I'm always stressed out and anxious? I don't want to be that way. Why is it? Right? And the reason that the Bible says that we ask these questions, the reason we ask the questions, why is it so hard for me to do the good stuff I know I should do? The reason the Bible says is because we are all fundamentally flawed. At our core, we're broken. I've got kind of a stark example for what this is like. Let's say you go to the doctor. You're not feeling right. Something's not quite right. You go to the doctor. They do a bunch of tests. They take blood, scans, all this sort of stuff. Eventually, the doctor calls you in because they have a prognosis for you. You sit down across from the doctor. The doctor says, I have bad news. You have a very serious form of cancer. It is going to take some radical and just major treatment to get this under control. And you sit there and you look back at the doctor and you say, I understand what you're telling me. Now, I've heard that in order to be healthy, you need to eat right and exercise. So I'm going to go home and eat some broccoli and run on my treadmill, and I think I should be okay. Now, the doctor would look at you and go, well, it is good to eat broccoli. It is good to exercise. But ultimately, that's not going to fix your issue. The issue is deeper than that. In order to actually cure this issue that you have, a little bit of good stuff isn't going to help. And ultimately, that's what the, the way the Bible describes humanity. That we are fundamentally flawed, that we are fundamentally broken, and just doing a couple little good things isn't going to fix that. We need some sort of major repair, some major renovation. And the reason this is important is because often I find people think that the point of the church and the point of the Bible and the point of Christianity in general is to make us a little better. That the point of it is we all need to be a little better and so we can come to things and, and we can do things that will make us a little better. I have kids from the age of 13 to 7. And this year I entered a new phase in our house. It's called being the parent of a teenager. And one of the things I found is that parents of other teenagers, my son's friends, their parents, they talk to me more often. They know I work at a church and they'll come to me and they'll say something basically like, hey, my teenager is an obnoxious brat. They're really rude and disrespectful and ungrateful. Can you do something to help them become a little bit better? 
Do you have some programs at your church that help them become a little bit better because they're really annoying all of a sudden? And uh, I tell them, I understand. I have one of those. And I, and I say, our, our church does have actually some great programs. My son's away at a conference with the youth group right now. They, they, they do have that. But I'm a little bit conflicted when they ask, they ask me this question because ultimately what they're coming to me and saying is, hey, I have a child who has cancer and they have a little cut on their hand. Can you give me some Band-Aids? And the amount of Band-Aids I can give you, the amount of broccoli they eat, is, an, is ultimately not going to solve the issue that we have, that our core of who we are as humans is fundamentally broken. Now, the beauty of the Christian message is that we understand that God does provide a remedy for it. That word justified, that justification, the word we're trying to understand, that's what it means. It means to be made right. The reason we need to be justified is because we're flawed. And so the Bible says that the reason Jesus died, rose again, was to cause us to fill, to remedy that void that we have, to fix that part of us that's broken. So how do we gain access to that? How do we gain access to that fix that is justification? Well, going back to Romans 5, 1 and 2, it explains it. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Right, so it says that the access, the way we have access to this justification, to this remedy for a fundamental corruption is simply by faith, which makes sense because it's bigger. Again, one of the misconceptions that people have about kind of the Christian faith in general is the goal is to make you a little bit better. And so what you do is you need to do a few things a little bit better, and then when you do that, you'll be okay. Last week, we celebrated Easter. We had a great service this year. It was a wonderful week. On Easter, we celebrate the fact that Jesus died and rose again. One of the questions people ask is, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? And the reason people ask that question is because they misunderstand the basic message of Christianity. If the message of Christianity was you need to be a little better, Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus could have given us one or two or ten or a hundred different ways that we could be a little better. And all we'd have to do is follow those ways and we'd become a little bit better. But that's not the problem. And so that wasn't the solution. The problem is we are fundamentally corrupt and we needed a major remedy. And the remedy was that Jesus died in place of us and rose again. And the way we get access to that is not by being a little better. Sometimes we think, hey, God will like us if I'm a little bit better. That's not the way it works. The way it works is if we say to God, God, I know I'm I messed up, and I would like you to remedy my soul, not just kind of give me some Band-Aids, remedy my soul. I believe that Jesus is God. I want to follow Him. Can you please do that? Then by faith, we have access to this justification. But how does that work? How does sort of the, the Jesus dying and rising on the cross, how does that somehow impact us? How does it remedy us? Well, there's a term. It's a theological term. It's actually been around for hundreds of years. During the Reformation, guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin, they really liked this term. And so I decided I would use it this morning. The term is imputed righteousness. All right? Now, basically what that means is God takes the goodness, the righteousness of Jesus, who was perfect, lived a perfect life. He takes it from him, and he puts it on us. He assigns it to us. He infuses it in us. He sticks it so, so that it begins to change us from the inside out because that's the only way it works. It doesn't work to just kind of do a couple nice things. We need some major remedy, so God takes the righteousness and puts it in us. 
Now, as I was thinking about that concept, deep theological concept, a kind of bizarre example of how this work came to mind. And I wasn't going to show it to you because I thought, this is kind of weird. But then I realized if I showed you this, you would forever remember the term imputed righteousness. You would remember what justification means, and you would remember the basic concept of Christianity. Are you ready? All right, let's watch this. If your liquid's well blended, you can combine your herbs straight into the mixture. Just whisk it all together to combine. Place the needle of a marinade syringe, such as this, into your mixture, and slowly pull the plunger back so that you don't incorporate too much air into your mixture. Start by injecting at around the center of a breast and slowly apply pressure to the plunger to release one and a half to two ounces of marinade into each breast, thigh, leg, and wing. Now cover your turkey and place in the refrigerator for two to eight hours. That explains it, doesn't it? I'm the one that makes the turkey at my house, and the way I usually make it, you know, you put some uh, vegetables in there, you stuff it a little bit, but the, all the flavor stays on the top. You know, the skin comes off, and the flavor's all gone, and then it's just turkey, and turkey, the only reason we eat it is Thanksgiving, you know? So anyway, I've never tried this, but I'm thinking about it. I was a little worried to show it at the third service because it's going to make you guys hungry. But the idea behind this, right, is you can inject the flavor right in it and, it, and it makes sense. In some ways, it helped me understand this idea of imputed righteousness, that what, do, what God does is He takes the goodness of Jesus and He just like injects it right inside us. It goes inside us and it begins to renew us, to restore us to that place that God intended us to be. And as a result of that, when God looks at us, He doesn't see you as an annoying teenager anymore. You still are, but he doesn't see you that way. He sees you as a beautiful creation that he created. And it doesn't happen like all at once. It's not like, yay, I'm a perfect person. But what it does is it puts that inside us, and it, it doesn't move. It can't be removed. It's there. I like the way 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. That last phrase, that we might become the righteousness of God, that is a pretty powerful statement. That we, in our current state of being fundamentally broken, can somehow become the righteousness of God. We can become as good as God. When we have a correct understanding of what this means, it changes the way we live. It changes how we understand what the message of the Christian faith is about. On the one hand, it gives us a freedom from despair and shame and guilt. I find a lot of times people come to church and they feel like they're not quite good enough to be here. People say that a lot. You probably have friends that go, no, I, I couldn't go there. I'm not good enough to be here. And then people come and they're around church for a while and then they make some mistakes and then they feel like they're damaged goods and there's this spiral of kind of shame and it's like, I just, I don't fit, I don't. I don't measure up. What the Bible says is, you're right, you don't measure up. None of us do. You are fundamentally flawed. The difference is that simply that God has taken righteousness and put Him inside us. And no matter what you do, it's still there, right? It's still there, and that gives us a hope that the ability, we're going to progress, we're going to make it, and even though we make some mistakes, it, it, it doesn't change that righteousness that God has put inside us. Another issue that sometimes people complain that church people are a little uh, 
a little judgmental and prideful. Not you guys. I'm sure it's not none of you. But sometimes people like to say that church people are like that. And one of the reasons that church people tend to be like that is because they have a misunderstanding of the basic concept of Christianity. The basic concept is not you're a little better than someone else. Right? If you have that mindset, then you look at someone and you're like, I'm a little better than you. You're an idiot. You mess up all the time. I only mess up part of the time, so I'm way better than you. And we look at people outside the church. Man, they are really messed up. Holy cow, no wonder, like, you better stay out there because you're a really messed up person. The message of Christianity isn't that at all. The message is we are all fundamentally flawed, all of us. And the only reason that we have access to peace and hope is not because you're a little bit better. It's because if you put your faith in God, he's infused this righteousness inside of you, and that allows you to have love for people. It allows you to be more forgiving. In fact, for me, I'm actually more surprised when people do the right thing. Man, you're a fundamentally flawed person, and you actually did the right thing. Great job. It allows us to have more patience and forgiveness for people around us because we realize we are all fundamentally flawed. But we have the ability to have this righteousness of Jesus infused inside us. And when we understand that, it gives us an immense sense of gratitude. An immense sense of gratitude when you understand what this really is, why Jesus did what he did. Oftentimes people have a little bit of gratitude because they think, hey, thanks you, Jesus, for helping me be a little bit nicer. And if you are thanking Jesus for helping you be a little bit nicer, you are probably a little bit grateful. If you understand that what Jesus did was not make you a little bit nicer, he died on the cross so that you could have your fundamentally corrupt self restored and renewed, it comes with an immense sense of gratitude. In addition to that, it changes our perspective. Oftentimes, depending on how our circumstances are going, we feel up and down and like happy or sad or just kind of peaceful or not. When we understand that we have the righteousness of Jesus infused inside us, it puts things in perspective. So we can be going through really hard times. We can be going through rejection from our family or a spouse. We can lose jobs. We can do these, which are really horrible things and really annoying. But as we go through that, when we understand, I know things are going really rough, but I have the righteousness of Jesus infused inside me, it allows us to continue to have things like peace and hope, even when our circumstances aren't as great as we would like them to be. It also gives us a much better understanding of what it means to grow. The way this kind of works, using this kind of analogy of being sick, is let's say, you know, you got some problem, you broke your leg, and you go to the doctor, and they kind of set it, and it gets healed, but then you still have to go to rehab, right, to get it a little bit better. you got to learn to walk again, and then you can learn to run. Ultimately, when Jesus infuses his righteousness inside of you, it doesn't make you perfect right off the bat. What it does is it starts to renovate and renew your soul so that you begin to grow, And the other thing is, this should give us a lot more kind of freedom to understand it's not going to happen all at once. I'm not going to be a perfect person. There are going to be times I make up, but I get to move forward. I get to continue to grow and understand this more and live this out a little bit more. And as I do that, that's how I begin to have love and joy and peace and patience and all those things that you can put in a smoothie. God, that was a little bit funny. (laughs) I just can't. That was not in none of the other services did I say that. Anyway, so... I mean, when we begin to understand this, it changes us. And I know there are people here this morning who say, I've been coming here and I feel this weight. I've been trying to be a little bit better. And it burdened me. I have a very close friend who left the church, and the reason she left the church is she said, I got tired of trying to be good all the time. And I got tired of people looking at me when I wasn't. 
I know there are people here who feel that weight. And this understanding of this gives us a freedom to say, we misunderstand it. It's not about that. It's about the fact that we can have access to the righteousness of Jesus infused inside us. And we can have the comfort and the peace and the hope and the joy that comes from that. I'm going to close in prayer, and after we do that, there's going to be some members of the prayer team up here. And I would encourage you, if you're hearing this and you're like, I don't fully understand what he said. That was very complicated. I would encourage you, come up and talk. Come up and talk to one of those people. Or if you're sitting here and you're one of those people who's I just feel burdened by all this pressure that's been going on, come up and let some people just pray and allow to kind of build in or infuse that grace, that righteousness into your life. Because when we understand this fully, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we understand ourselves. It changes the way we understand everyone around us. And it changes the way we act. Let's pray. God, again, I thank you so much for what you've done. I mean, it is beyond we can comprehend. The fact that you were willing to come down to this earth, to live, to die, to rise again, so that your righteousness, your goodness could be infused inside us. I pray that you would give us a strength and a hope that understanding this would give us a freedom and a joy and an ability to live our lives more like you created us to live. I thank you that you give us access to a renewed, refreshed, regenerated soul. We pray that you would help us to take advantage of that today, this week, the rest of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.